Welcome to Two Therapist Tales, a podcast where Jacqueline Sabodi and Anna Zonin work to normalize conversations about mental health. Hi, welcome back to Two Therapist Tales. I'm Jacqueline Sabodi. And I'm Anna Zonin. And today we have an extra special guest with us, Jamie Hanley. Jamie is a licensed professional counselor and Monmouth University graduate. She has worked in a variety of mental health settings and believes that a trusting relationship is the foundation for healing. She incorporates holistic practices such as mindfulness, breathwork, meditation, yoga, and guided relaxation into therapeutic sessions. Jamie has worked with a variety of clients and specializes in eating disorders, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, and offers yoga to mental health populations. Today, we wanted to get together to talk about the one-year mark of our world's shutting down due to COVID-19. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Um, this topic is really important right now. Uh, it's heavy. It's ominous. It's oh so real. Um, and I think we've really battled to find a new normal within this year. Yeah, I could not agree more. Thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to see you both, albeit on a screen, which is one <laughs> of the things that we've totally adapted to, which is so interesting. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Long and short at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And I also noticed yeah. that just clients, I'm just this, this last two weeks, just kind of in sessions, like, let's reflect, like, where were you a year ago? Like, where were you in your process? And then, you know, kind of this is when everything switched over so rapidly. Like what, you know, and people are like kind of awestruck. They're like, wow, it's been a year. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, mm -hmm. I can just feel it energetically. Things are a little different right now. Absolutely. So let's just get into it. I mean, what's changed? What have we learned? Um, what are our takeaways? You know, this value of time of being together. Um how has it impacted our biological imperative of wanting to connect? Mm. Yeah. What have we learned? I feel like it's so broad <clears throat> and yet so individual. Mm -hmm. So depending on who you talk to and like where they were kind of halted in their process and how the pivot affected them. Mm -hmm. Um, that influenced what they learned through this process. I mean, I can speak to what I learned and, and, um, <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of the people that I work with, I, I really work primarily with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders now, which, um, is, is a specialization of working with pregnant and postpartum parents and, I, I carry that into even like toddler and having young children because, um, you know, that population was really impacted yeah. uh, the way. And, and I speak to being kind of like about almost out of the trenches of that population of having like super little kids. Right. As a mom. Um, right. Yeah. So, so, you know, mine were, my husband and I said the other day, we're like, um, man, we started this pandemic with babies and, and now they're both big kids. Mm -hmm. and you know, you know mine. So like they're big now. It's yeah. been a while since they took those photos in your office. And yeah. We're tiny. They're big. It's yeah. very interesting. And, and how, um, you know, all the working parents had to pivot and, and the hard conversations that people had to have with employers or, being forced out of the workforce or choosing, you know, so many women chose to leave or cut back mm -hmm. or didn't really feel like it was a choice. Mm -hmm. That powerlessness was huge. Um, but then on the other side of it was the being together, the realization that we're all going in so many different directions that, you know, when you do just look around and kind of just see your own little bubble like, okay, well, we're okay here and we're together. Um, and that kind of shift towards just making sure there was more quality time, I think was really big for people um, if they could, but, you know, that's also a luxury in this situation. And I also think just, you know, with the takeaways, like I don't necessarily want to wash away those first few months, you know, where we were all like in shock and, and trauma. Like, I don't, I don't want to actually forget that because I think as arduous and 
harrowing as trauma is, like it does teach us something. Like there is something to take away from it. Um, mm -hmm. And if we skip that step, um, I don't think we're going to be better for it. You know, mm -hmm. there is this like pre-pandemic us and then there's this current us, you know, and, mm -hmm. and who are we? You know, I think that's a big, a big question. Who are we one year later? And are we better for it? I would like to say yes. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways we are. And as humans always adapt, we're adjusting to this new version of our normal where like we can still be busy or like, okay, I'm still going to go do all the things because now I can wear my mask. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as people continue to adapt and adapt, right, I think you bring up a really good point. Like, how do we not forget about the value mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. that initial pause mm -hmm. where like, yeah, we were all kind of frozen mm -hmm. because we didn't know what was going on or what was true or not, or just didn't have the scientific information yet. So yeah, we were frozen, but that pause was also really valuable to really focus in on our immediate needs and immediate care. Um, but also I think like the needs of the collective, mm -hmm. I mean, that initial shutdown and like where people were like, where are we going to get our groceries? Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. social media and how people were like, order from this delivery. Hey, there's this small farm that's doing deliveries. Hey, like how like how do people take care of each other? But then how do we also like extend that outward to people who are really in need? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's exactly I was thinking the same thing about how, you know, do we hold on to what we learn? and take that with us because as human beings, we have this, um, you know, I think natural ability to like really rally during times of crisis and during times of trauma. And then we forget, like we really do, we move on and we, we, and I remember nine 11, right. I feel like that was maybe one of the last times that really as a nation, um, we were dealing with something very, you know, it was a united feeling. And, um, I'm like, and then after, very soon afterwards, I'm like, did we forget what that was like? You know, like when we were all kind of like, let's heal each other. Let's help each other. Let's um, figure out how we can do this together and help each other through it. Even if there are, you know, various different things that everybody's going through. Um, and we, you know, did it, uh, we're doing it and are still doing it um, during this time. And, you know, I, I, I also feel like I'm like, how do we hold on to that? What we learned and, um, become better or, or figure, you know, kind of uh, hold on to what we took away um, instead of just kind of forgetting and moving, moving right along. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. people are so like, I want to get back to regular life. When can we have, you know, parties again and the kids just need to go to school and da, 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 da. Well, if we rush back to it, we're definitely going to forget. That's guaranteed. Um, there's this writer, Katie Hawkins Gar, and she explains in um, her recent newsletter what psychologists are calling psychologists are calling the anniversary effect. Um, in her article, she states, "Our brains and bodies store painful memories, which can be triggered by certain dates or seasons." She explains this helps explain why we're struggling right now. It explains why I was crying over flowers, why it feels so hard to focus on anything, and why our worries have spiraled out of control so easily. Yeah. I was like, that was really, <laughs> that was a good one. Memory, good one. right? Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, how how our lives have changed, like, you know, how we socialize, how we work from home, um, how we live, um, how we practice self-care. So let's talk a little bit about um, all that. Well, it, I think it's very, uh, again, different for individuals, like, I work with individuals who've been working out in the world the whole time. And then there's so many of us who have had to go to zoom mm -hmm. and that's interesting too. So like people, like, for example, my husband has had to go to work the whole time. So he doesn't understand what it's like for us to be on the computer like this, trying to do this human interaction thing on zoom all the time. And that even is so interesting. Um, but with almost everything going to virtual, at least for like the beginning of things, um, and even still clearly in our industry and in, in um, many 
many businesses, people are not going to be going back to in-person or they're going to be going back very limited. And that's kind of a long-term impact. Um, but being, being home and working from home and then trying to do your kids school from home and doing childcare, like the beginning of the beginning of the pandemic was a hot mess. (laughs) Oh God. It was like such a train wreck. It was disastrous. We're just like survival mode. Uh, try to get your work done. If your kid ends up back there in the session, like, I mean, like I, we were all just, just trying to do what we could to, especially as a therapist, just support your clients. I also like think that like, there's some greatness in like this humanness, um, especially yes. for us as females. Like we are driven with this like mm-hmm. culture of perfectionism. And it's like, yeah, like some days I got it together and some days my kids popping in, in the back of my session and that's gotta be okay. You know, and I think that this experience has really allowed for that to just be um, dampened. And I think, again, like for the better, like I'm flawed mm-hmm. and that's cool mm-hmm. and you can see it and that's going to be okay. Um, obviously within the bounds of making sure their therapeutic sessions remain theirs, but there's some universality in that. And I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it allows us to like kind of model, like just being gentle with ourselves, you know, and going slowly, taking things easily, um, mm-hmm. you know, just creating a little bit of space. Mm-hmm. For sure. For and sure. Just, yeah. And, yeah. And like how everything changed, you said work, socializing, how we live. I think just the day to day, like if you look back, you know, again, for some people it's changed vastly and for some people not as much. And for some people it's in between. Um, you know, I could like my husband used to get up every morning at four 30 in the morning and go to the city every day and work, 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 be back at seven, eight o'clock. And now he's downstairs in the office and he won't leave, <laughs> leave, you know? Um, and the kids are upstairs trying to do their work and this and that. And it's, and now I'm like, you know, are you ever going to go back to the office? You know, he does, you know, one day a week, but he's like, there's nobody there. There's nobody there. It's, yeah. you know, so no, I'm not really ever fully going to go back. So it's, really not ever going to be the way that it was, you know, and having to readjust, I guess, you know, these are small, you know, I think small things in the grand scheme of things and how other people have struggled, but still like readjusting how you do your, you know, day and you know, how to get, are you getting the kids out the door or are they staying in or this one needs this and that one needs that it's, it's different. And it's still different, you know, from what it was a year ago, even though we're slowly getting back into some um, form of whatever, normal looks like now yeah whatever now looks like right exactly. <laughs> and yeah. so much of it is similar for other people like you know certain clients that i've talked to have taken their kids out of school completely and homeschool them now so um you know and have had to adjust because of their own um limitations to go to work because so many of them have lost work and you know, that's, that's huge, you know, the economic impact and the struggles of people just to get by, I I think, you know, are monumental, you know, with, you know, of course the death and the disease and that, but that's a whole other aspect of it. There's so many parts of our lives that were impacted. Mm -hmm. And that, that I think speaks to the, the, uh, need to be together, the need to spend time with other humans and connect in person um, and we do get that normally at our work and when we, you know, socialize and take our kids to their activities and whatever. And when all of that was shut down and we were all completely disconnected from each other, like that, that was really difficult. And these little readjustments of like, okay, now how much interaction is safe mm-hmm. and the whole risk versus risk and weighing things along the way, like, okay, sending my kids back to school, it might be good for their social emotional development. Mm-hmm but then it heightens the risk of exposure to the grandparents and like there being a decision every single step of the way has been so anxiety provoking for people and fatiguing you know just having to constantly like live with like okay if i do like a calculated move and i move this chess you know player this way what's going to be the ripple effect or if i move it this way and you bring up a good point you know for children and teens and emerging adults like how much has impacted their social emotional development. I mean, we're going to see be seeing like such long term effects of this year on um, those demographics. And then also, you bring up you know the elder adult population, right, who have been totally isolated and you know confined like pretty significantly by this. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think also one of my um, my dear clients, um, she's an emerging adult, and she said she's like, never again will I take for granted the ability to socialize. If this year has taught me anything, it has taught me the value of friendships, um, mm-hmm. and that stuck out to me, you know. And mm-hmm. so much, you know, when we talk about going through trauma, right? Like the first step is like safety and support, and that's in the form of relationships and environment. And so this is no different, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, how about different demographics, um, you know, and how they've been uh, impacted by the virus? Because everybody was impacted. Yes, we were in this collectively, but, you know, there was, there was some ways that we were all impacted differently. Um, how can we um, look at it through uh, like a social justice piece? Um, because more people of color passed away from the virus and, you know, um, people that didn't have the means it was a despairing you know there was inequality in how, kind of who got uh, impacted by this the most so how do we can we talk about that and look at it and um, learn from it too you know i this year has been such a a year of reckoning for many white people um to realize you know with the with the pandemic putting such a spotlight on these disparities and of course um, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and countless other um, black men and women and um, becoming more aware of, of all of these inequities and how, um, you know, we need to sit back and listen and pay attention to why these things are happening because if we don't, then it, it perpetuates the problem. So, um, you know, I'm not a teacher of this, this type of stuff. I'm a student. So I always kind of tread lightly in speaking to these kind of things because clearly as therapists, we need to know about, um, you know, where these disparities come from, like that, that means you have to look back at history and actually like look and pay attention to, uh, you know, how we got here and then how white people continue to perpetuate being in this position of power and how generational trauma has caused um, black people and people of color to be um, in a place of, of not having access to the same level of health care because of, you know, being slaves and then being forced into uh, ghettos and and not being given the opportunity for education. And then this um, perpetuates and people are in poorer health and have less resources. And then this pandemic comes along and are dying in disproportionate uh, numbers, you know, because they're forced into the front line frontline jobs and are being exposed way more as janitors in hospitals and cashiers in supermarkets. Um, And there's a huge need for counselors of color, um, you know, to be able to serve those populations who are so greatly impacted by these, these generational traumas um, and, and to be able to do that healing work with someone who looks like them and has that similar lived experience. Um, and to be able to, you know, and that's, I mean, I was, I was wondering how we were going to talk today without talking about Megan and Harry, <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> like, you know, we're seeing all of these, um, different examples of, of how racism shows up in every layer of our society. Um, you know, even, even at the highest level of these Royals. Uh, who have so much privilege, but there's still so much trauma. So, well, I think the you know the pandemic has exposed what researchers have already and always known that public health crisis disproportionately harm people of color um, right. and ethnic uh, groups, and you know they are already navigating things like poverty and crime and unemployment and racial discrimination. Right, and so this has been going on for years. You know, if we look at things like the Great Depression or World War II. Like these were these are things that have have, have always have always existed. And so, you know, we have this opportunity now to talk about it and, you know, give it a voice and expose it. And I think as as counselors and therapists, we have these really great platforms to talk about. And I love that language. I'm totally gonna borrow it. I'm a 
student, not a teacher of this topic, Jamie Hanley, <laughs> direct quote. Um, well, and, and that's because- we're gonna try and, you know, get it right, you know, and sometimes we're gonna get it right and sometimes we're just gonna get it better, but, all, you know, we have to use these places where we can talk about it and have these conversations and we're gonna stumble and, you know, but we're gonna, you know, this is this is better than not talking about it and not highlighting it because it mm -hmm. is something that needs to be um, explored mm -hmm. and exposed. And, um, you know, as, as three white women, we, we have to try, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the reason I say it, I'm, I'm a student, not a teacher, um, because I think as counselors, we're teachers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also a yoga therapist. I've been a yoga teacher for years. Um, but in this particular topic, as white women, we really have to step back mm -hmm. and just listen to women of color in particular, mm -hmm. people of color, black people as, as the teachers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and we're allies, right? Like that's, that's how we can show up here. Yeah. And there's a whole, there's all different levels of that. That might be a whole other podcast, <laughs> podcast where, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I can, I can speak to in our house, how that has also had an impact is normalizing those conversations. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, um, so, so speaking of amazing teachers of this, uh, one of my, my favorite teachers is Dr. Tracy Baxley, and she has a program called social justice parenting. So I did that and, and she's, so amazing and interactive on Instagram. I think that that's been another interesting thing of this is how we learn. Absolutely. And how we, social, again, socialize. We, we kind of socialize on social media. It's a little interesting, but yeah, <laughs> it's a whole other, that might also be a whole other podcast, right? Um, but but it's been really cool to meet people and interact with people and learn from teachers in that way. And, um, you know, she's someone who I studied with. And now I feel like oh, I can just like normalize these conversations and talk about race and, you know, be able to talk about that with my six and a half, almost seven year old. And like she gets it. Mm -hmm. She like made a somehow a, a comparison between my son not liking different shapes of pasta <laughs> racism the other day and i, I was it. like yes that's wow. it okay. yes it's great yes. <laughs> we're learning mm -hmm. i love it it's like you always say mm -hmm. about the pasta <laughs> yeah so i mean this kind of segues us into how have children families been managing you know um mm -hmm. not just the pandemic but also you know just the racial and social and political climate just you know how have families and, and, you know, teens and college age adults and older adults been, been coping with 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. um, well, like I said, I work, you know, primarily with parents. I do have some college age clients as well, just a couple of teens, but most of my clients are college and young adult and parents. Um, and, you know, for, for parents, we've all had to pivot on like so many multiple levels with school and work and having hard conversations and deciding, you know, who to, what, what friends are allowed in our bubble, what family members are allowed in our bubble, constantly adjusting our boundaries around things, um, you know, losing our childcare situations was really hard for people and, you know, how, how that impacted, um, you know, who had to make sacrifices or do whatever differently. Um, and I think that it's been a really big strain on parenting, uh, partnerships in that, like, nobody can assume that anybody knows what anybody else needs. <laughs> it's the, it's that typical, um, like fortune telling, uh, you know, mind um, reading distorted thought. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, our common CBT, uh, traps that we fall into of, of distorted thinking, but like, no, your husband doesn't know that you want him to empty the dishwasher or whatever. And like those kind of things. And, and enough of those little resentments building up over time of people not communicating enough as parents, I think ha can lead to a lot of overwhelm. So, I am finding that for um, 
those partners, it's becoming extremely important to communicate and like work on their relationships as best as possible. And those are the couples who are doing well in this situation. And then parents who are really struggling to communicate or meet somewhere in the middle on childcare and work and juggling everything, you know, and that also depends on how much help people have. Right. You know, was it was a babysitter willing to come back? Was a grandparent living in the house? So they're they're also part of this their family's unit there. So again, being in the same storm but all in different boats. Um, the college kids, I it's been so interesting. Like I feel like they've all gotten it. They've all been so isolated, even though they're all together. Like yeah, it, well. they're they're. <laughs> They're, they're, it's, there's so many layers to it. One of my clients, um, I loved it. They went and got an Airbnb house, like close to their campus because the restrictions tightened and, you know, they're getting fined and, you know, they're getting threatened by you know, academic leaders and, you know, you can't do this, can't do this. And, you know, it, the, it's a natural maturation of that developmental stage, you know, like toddlers, it's like, do they walk? Do they talk, you know, the right time? Like emerging adults, it's like socializing, a sense of individual, individuality, you know, being in classes, doing internships, like this is all of their like natural steps that they're supposed to be like, you know, checking off is like benchmarks. And so with all of these restrictions in place, it's like so severely disrupted. But yeah, when my clients went and got a um an Airbnb house for a week, just like you know, with six people, and it was like so super creative. Mm-hmm. But it's it's something else. And I think the problem is is that like there's no real end in sight. I believe that next school year, especially for college age adults, it's gonna be we're gonna be seeing really similar um, restrictions in place. Um, and for high schoolers, you know, right now, so a junior in high school, if you're a junior in high school, your only normal year would have been your freshman year of high school. Now, if we can all think back to our freshman year of high school, you're like awkward, stumbling over yourself, trying to figure out your place, you know, in your friend group. Um, and so to have like sophomore year disrupted, junior year disrupted, and likely parts of their senior year disrupted. I mean, it's, it's, it's very sad. It's very, very, um, you know, there's no other word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about families, we talked about teens and emerging adults, talked a little bit about children. Um, how about older adults? You know, um, you know, none of us specialize in that age group, but you know, I can imagine the effects of the isolation has been really challenging for this um, demographic. And also just like they're, for that generation, they, you know, they may not be as like tech savvy, right? So we assumed that everyone was able to like pivot and get, you know, up with the technological era, but that's not true for a lot of clients, whether it's, you know, um, they don't have the means or, you know, they just don't know how to do this whole Zoom thing, right? So a lot of our socialization, you know, being able to get medical care, get groceries delivered has all been, you know, through virtual. So, you know, I think that's also another demographic that has been really gravely impacted by this. I know that a lot of nursing homes are, you know, being there there's they're getting the vaccines and that's super great and hopefully we'll help turn things around a little bit in those settings yeah and like for the the um elderly who live in nursing homes to not for the families not to be able to visit mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um you know to to have that lack of of that social support um on an on an emotional level i think that that's probably got to be really difficult. I know I had a couple of um, more senior clients who didn't want to see me over Zoom, didn't even want to do telephone sessions Mm -hmm. when we went from Mm -hmm. in person to, Mm -hmm. no, I'm okay. We'll just get back to it when we're back in person. Remember when we thought this was going to be over in two weeks? Two weeks. I thought Cinco de Mayo. I kept saying that. (laughs) Well, yeah. And we're in for a rude awakening. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, I don't even... Oh, I did. We'll get to it. How as therapists, what is going on as us as therapists? I mean, I do have that. We'll get to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that that's really, really interesting. That's real. Too. That's real. Yeah. Um, but you know, for seniors, gosh, and, and for them being so high risk too. Um, but again, such individual responses when I think mm-hmm. of you know, when you think of the people you know, like of so many grandparents who are like, Well, whatever, I'm not gonna not see my grandkids and they just we're part of that bubble or whatever. Um, but then people did get sick and definitely losses because people didn't realize the severity of this, but some people have been fine. So like, 
it's such a vast array of experiences. It is, right? That's what I was thinking too. I'm like, if I think about my clients and the people in my life, how everybody um, dealt with it differently. And some people that are, you know, riddled with anxiety and completely close themselves off um, mm-hmm. and still, you know, um, feel that way. Um, and versus, you know, some people where they were kind of like, no, that's nothing's gonna, this isn't a thing, you know, whatever. And so they went about their merry ways or the, you know, and zoom the Passover Seder I had with, you know, my parents and my in-laws and the, the, like the old, like them trying to figure it out, seeing half their face, their eye, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> they have no idea. I'm like, well, I can't see you. All I hear is, you know, <laughs> the, 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 all the, I don't know. It was, you know, while trying to get in, but we laughed really hard. I mean, what are you going to do? Um, and the kids and how different they were impacted. Um, and one thing I just wanted to mention, um, I think with, with parents and children, um, that I noticed and how we handled, you know, how, what they were going through their process and our process. Um, you know, I have a high schooler, a middle schooler and a, um, an elementary schooler all in each, you know, and, um, every single one of them had a completely different experience. You know, my oldest one was like, I can't take this. I need to go. I need to see my friends. Like he was just whatever. And my middle one became extraordinarily introverted and very quiet and like really hasn't left the house. And I, me, I was like, what are you doing? Call your friends, you know, see them wave from a window, like constantly always on top of them. He's like, leave me alone that I'm, I'm like, I'm fine. And I had to kind of stop and be like, okay, it's me who's uncomfortable with him. So it's me who needs to figure out why I feel so uncomfortable that he needs to be, you know, that way, like right now. Um, so, you know, and yesterday was the first time he went legitimately the first time he went out to see a friend probably in a year. And I had text messages from my older son. He left the house. <laughs> you know, my husband, good news. We got him out of the house, you know, but it's so different. And it was just, he needed to take his time and feel comfortable enough to g- get back into socializing for him. It wasn't about fear of, of the catching, you know, COVID, but it was about like, they just stopped, you know, so many of us stopped learning how to do this almost. And I think even harder for, you know, kids and teenagers. So it's an interesting process. And as you said, so vastly different for everybody. Um, And I guess that segues us into, you know, the future of mental health and how this prolonged communal trauma for PTSD, for frontline workers, anxiety and depression and agoraphobia for so many of, you know, the elder adults and, you know, any kind, you know, everybody pretty much, um, and, you know, and the way we've had to grieve also, right. Um, has been very different, um, grief for everything, grief for so many things for human life, for, um, our, you know, freedoms for things, significant events that we've lost, um, hope, <laughs> you know, sometimes, right. We've like had to grieve, like sometimes we're like, okay, you're hoping for something, but you don't even know when that hope is like, when is it going to end? Um, so how has this, you know, impact, uh, how is this impacting, um, everybody and us as therapists as well? That was a loaded question. <laughs> um, yeah, it is a loaded question because it's impacting. <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> it's impacting us in all the ways, all the ways, impacting all the things. Um, I think you know, to reel back and look at it from like, we are therapists literally going through this same experience in real time with our clients, you know, first the pandemic, then increase in uh, civil unrest and all the rioting and murders um, that people became more aware of the the, um, regularity with which this violence occurs. Um, The election. I mean, we were all, all traveling this communal (laughs) process, this having this experience together. And as we've said, you know, many times already in different boats, like in different, in our own unique situations that allow for, um, you know, a better or worse situation, depending. But, but that, that humanity that Jackie was speaking to before, um, 
and like being more vulnerable with our clients, I think absolutely is, is a way that it has really greatly impacted how we show up as counselors and always, you know, checking, am I sharing this for myself or am I sharing this for them? But knowing that you're sharing more because there's such a need for like normalization in the experience in how not not usual this experience is how and how not normal it is but it's what we're dealing with now so like normalizing the reactions that people are having and the anxiety and the anger and the frustration and the fear yeah. and um you know validating all those feelings and and showing our own humanness i think has has been um really really important we also did it you know no roadmap no blueprint never done before like all we had was like our hearts and our heads and our souls and that's all we could pour into this right and mm-hmm. i know definitely for me like there have been so many like ups and downs throughout this past year and some like great successes and like these sessions that move you and then <laughs> these sessions that you're like i and i have no idea what to do and i've said that to clients i i, I feel as though i have i feel really powerless in this moment I don't know what direction to go, right? And so again, like showing our own vulnerabilities, not just the beauty and modeling, like there is a collective um, sense of helplessness, but there was also, you know, collective hopeful, hopefulness, maybe cautiously, but mm-hmm. I think that like in the depths of all of this, you know, in the depths of all the pain, it's also held greater space for us as clinicians to hold those moments of like laughter and joy and, you know, has expanded our capacity to feel things on a, on a deeper level um, and just, you know, continue to connect with our clients in a really um, rewarding way. Um, That's been a big takeaway, I think. Um, It all goes to show us that we're more alike than we are different, you know? And I think when they see that and they can, um, you know, relate to it, it just makes all the difference, really. We're all at the end, just human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite professors saying, like, you only have to be one step ahead of your clients. (laughs) You know, you don't have to be like the expert on all the things, Mm -hmm. but like have done the work you're asking them to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and in this situation, we couldn't be in that. You couldn't have already done this work. Like I found it sometimes helpful to reflect back on on Sandy or 9-11 and like kind of see some similarities in, you know, a collective experience. Um, But you're right, Jackie, no roadmap. So we didn't have the opportunity to even be one step ahead of what we're asking them to do. Or maybe you did it the day before or that morning and you were just like, hey, I just tried this thing with my kids. It seemed to work. You could try it. Like, but it wasn't like. Yeah. We're all just throwing spaghetti at the wall and, and seeing, you know, how, how, goes. how we adapt. Yeah. yeah. And, and for those um, who are, you know, I mean, I think this goes on for all of us. We're still battling the illness, whether emotionally, physically or, um, you know, mentally. Um, and just the aftermath of it. What words can we offer um, to listeners um, and to people in the community that are, um, you know, tuning into the podcast? Mm. I think it's really important to do your best to take one day at a time and try and like focus and center yourself at some point every day. Um, You know, where are the little moments that you can practice being present? Figuring out what's adaptive for your nervous system. Mm know mm-hmm. like get out in nature mm-hmm. take a walk just go outside and breathe mm-hmm. like sit in your backyard and listen to the birds like when you notice moments that you feel well pause and really notice mm-hmm. those moments because that's remembered wellness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we need we need to remember that this is temporary or the phases of this continue to, to evolve and change um, so checking in with yourself in this moment, I am okay. I'm here with my breath, mm-hmm. relax. Because, you know, in the next moment, all the, all yeah, the, the stuff can hit the fan. <laughs> um, Norman Gramese is the um, 
father of resiliency theory. I love the word resiliency. It's such an, like, an anchoring word encapsulates so much, especially when we're going through hard and traumatic times. Um, but you know, we all have this innate ability to be resilient, but it's not just like, oh, you're more resilient or you're resilient. It's a process, it's a building. And so something that I've just been trying to anchor clients in is in getting through this and coping and adapting and, and figuring out ways to get through it by being mindful, by connecting with loved ones, by, you know, channeling our own inner voice. Um, we're in this process of building resiliency. And so on the other side, all of us, you know, assuming we're we're doing the work along, you know, along the way, all of us are gonna come out with a more resilient spirit. And in, in that regard, aren't we all winning? <laughs> right. Like, you know? And we can have that resilient spirit um and come out the other side stronger and be present to the grief at the same time exactly right exactly right there's space for both yeah and that's you know the um this notion that life is lived in the gray area right like there's space for both like it can be awful and i can anchor myself in the fact that i was resilient today or you know it can be horrible and i can be mindful of the little joy you know like hearing the birds outside my office window right like yeah. Yeah. Super important. We've, learned, yeah. we've learned a lot about the gray area. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's like no right or wrong. Mm -hmm. All the decisions, there's no right or wrong. Mm -hmm. um, what might life after lockdown, you know, look like? Maybe we could talk about that, you know, as sporting events, concerts, work, travel, plays, you know, celebrations, you know, how is it going to, um, be different now what are we envisioning for ourselves and again i think you know it's probably going to be different for whatever everybody everybody's comfort level is or what i you know um but what do you what do you guys think what is it going to look like <laughs> mask mask concerts <laughs> country's not letting us in <laughs> i mean i think that's just my anxiety you know like when can we travel my friend again? texted me about going to a concert the other night Mask. And I was like, Yee! yeah, I, I was like, you know, well, if it's if there's some kind of COVID policy and I can see like how they're managing social distancing at PNC Art Center, <laughs> like uh, every six seats or something. But I doubt they're doing that. Right. And we couldn't like even find anything. And she Long sent me tickets. <laughs> yeah, she she was like, yeah, there's not much about what the COVID policy is. Maybe a concert's an activity for 2022. Like, yeah, we'll just like have dinner in the backyard and sit by the fire pit. Like, I think, you know, while some of these like big event things have certainly damaged the economy of those types of events, it also has really forced people to again, like retool and pivot in another way of how can we do things in a way that's small and intimate. I mean, Jackie, you know that well, and <laughs> having navigated your own <laughs> stuff with that. So like, why not just have friends over for a backyard barbecue and, and something small instead of having to go to the concert this year? And like, just making those decisions every step of the way, having a little wedding and waiting a few years for the big celebration. It's heartbreaking and grief ridden when those things are huge, um, you know, like important birthdays and things like that. Um, but there's also so much value in like going back to things being like close to our hearts and intimate. And it doesn't have to be this big, huge thing for social media. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think about how we're going to do that stuff? I don't know. I think it's going to be different. It's been so, at least, I mean, I'm sitting in New Jersey, but from what I see again on the news, it's so different for every state almost. Like I feel like some places are in a completely different realm and we're in a completely different thing. And up there it's, it's, it's just so different everywhere. So, um, you know, I talked to families, you know, some in Florida and they're like, what are you talking about? Everything's all right here. We're doing this, we're doing that. We're, you know, um, and we're kind of in the middle and, you know, so it's so, um, it's just, it's just different. And I think, um, everybody's going to have their own process. And, you know, a, another thing that I saw come up with this is 
judgment from a lot of people on both respects. And, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, really cautious and, you know, you, you, you're, you're, you're doing all the things, everybody's like, well, why are you doing that? And then if you're not cautious enough, well, why are you doing that? It's like, everybody has <laughs> this opinion, right. Of where you lie on the spectrum and what's the exact right thing to do. Um, but I, you know, I, I think we're going to take our time. We should take our time. It's my personal opinion and be, um, you know, careful, but also know that, you know, we have to come back slowly, but surely into, you know, uh, connection so that we can, you know, um, I don't know, not get back to normal because it's never going to be the same, but, um, you know, start to find our new normal, I guess, whatever that looks like. I'm not sure. We have no roadmap. Remember? <laughs> I think that um, it out. it's like, you know, something like New York, like I don't think New York is going to ever be the same, just like after 9-11, like it wasn't the same. And again, similarly to what we were talking about earlier, some for the better and some for the not so better. Like maybe it is great that parents don't have to be schlepping into the city and losing three hours of their day and, and they can, you know, finish work at five or six and have a meal with their family or, you know, do something after work with their kiddo and not, you know, come home at 7.30 when it's bedtime. Um, I know another thing, um, my client was saying this, this week, he's just so insightful. He's another emerging adult and they're just, they say the greatest things. He is like, you know, we're better for this in ways because everybody was so busy and buzzing around and, and no one was present there. We were always overloaded with so many things. And I feel like that to be so true. And so now we get this opportunity to figure out, like, do we want to readopt that mentality and, and way of operating or do we want to maintain what we've learned of like slowing down and having less things and, you know, feeling less chaotic and, and hectic and busy? Um, and I think that's a good point too, you know, maybe, maybe we weren't really doing it right before. I think that's, you know, I think that's a positive takeaway. Um, and then we as therapists, like, what are we going through? Like, you know, how are we coping? How can we, um, instill hope in clients, families, friends, our listeners. It's been a unique year for sure, undoubtedly. Well, uh, again, how how we cope, I think, is something that's helpful to, to disclose to our clients is, you know, I literally show people, I'll show you all, I have my, my little coping skills box back there. You can see it next to my yoga bolsters. So, you know, I got my restorative yoga stuff and my and my coping skills box filled with my putty and the yeah. squeezy balls and like teaching my kids how to use that stuff and living by example, modeling and yeah. um, making sure we move our bodies and leaning into, again, whatever's adaptive for you, whatever brings you back to that remembered wellness. We need to do that for ourselves as clinicians um, in order to be able to say to our clients, like, trust me, try these things. It will help you tolerate the distress of this moment so that you don't make things worse. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> so really like leaning into that and, and noticing like what makes your nervous system feel calmer and there is no, there is no right or wrong again, like all the decisions and being like, there's no right or wrong. There's a gray area. How do we use wise mind? Like that's what we need to do. The same stuff as therapists that we teach our clients to do in order to cope with the uncertainty and the anxiety and the grief in this moment. Um, you know, I think asking for help, mm -hmm. ask for help, ask for help from, your friends, your family, and that help can look different in all different ways. Like, um, so for, for example, my parents are much older. They haven't been able to help us babysit the kids until tomorrow because they got their vaccine. Um, <laughs> but my mom will make us dinner and bring it over or pick stuff up in her grocery order that she does in the computer. Like, so whatever you can delegate and that might look like super random, but if all of a sudden it occurs to you that like, you know, you can ask your best friend to pick something up at the store when she's going, cause you can't go or whatever it is. Like 
help each other and don't be afraid to ask for help because we are so disconnected and acts of service and or little gifts sending friends little gifts or cards that show that you care about them like starting those kind of things i think just like how do you actually connect in other ways that feel really good for you and that doesn't have to look like something in person all the time like how can you connect differently facetimes facetime playdates have been great our best friends live in canada so <laughs> we're, we're, we're already, you're already, right, right, you're already doing facetime dates with, hmm? you're already doing facetime dates with a canada crew oh yeah totally like we've been doing that you know the girls play lego my best friend and i talk like because literally the last time we saw them was right before shutdown mm. But like, we love them. We need that connection. There are people. Mm-hmm. And we're communal yeah. beings. You know, we're not meant to be operating, you know, as individuals. And I think, so just, I think we need to do the same stuff as our clients. We're telling our clients to do. We all need to be doing the things. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, as this anniversary has approached, um, like just allowing ourselves to, to recognize, you know, there is, um, there's, there's muscle memory and trauma and it's March. Like this is when all of this started. And you're not feeling okay this month like that is totally okay um you know dr kristen neff she's a researcher on um self-compassion and um she breaks up the word you know compassion is um in in latin come means um with and passion means suffering so self-compassion means to be with yourself and to be with your suffering um and so just to acknowledge like you know this month might feel a little bit more prickly or a little bit more overwhelming and that's totally okay. And I'm going to practice X, Y, Z to help myself through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and along with that, to, to even when it's difficult and even when you have those feelings and frustrations and angst and uh, all that stuff, um, to allow yourself to feel it right. That's what we say to all our clients. You've got to like, let it be there. They're like, that's it. I'm like, yeah, that's it. You just got to let it be there. Um, you know, and I, I was having a conversation with another therapist this earlier this week. She's like, you know how it, like when you get a massage and it hurts, like it hurts when they are like taking those knots out, but afterwards you, there's a release and you feel good. Um, it's like that song hurts so good. You've got to let it just hurt for you to for, for you to get through it. It's just, that's how it is, whatever it is. So, um, and you know, again, we're more alike than we are different. Yeah. Yeah. One of my colleagues often says like, sit with the discomfort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sit with the feelings, right? All of us therapists say that they're like, stop it. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, just be with it. And, also, and also go to your body. I think that's like a thing that's skipped over, you know, we're not really taught like, mm-hmm. you know, what is happening in my body, how, what is the associated sensation to this emotion? You know, we talk a lot about like in CBT, like thoughts and behaviors, but, but also in the body, you know, I think that's a big thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, big thing for listeners. Yeah, for sure. Jamie, we can't Mm -hmm. thank you enough for joining. This was really important to um, cover this month. Thank you so much for having me. It was so nice to be here with you all. Yeah, Thank you. Next time on Two Therapist Tales, please join us as we welcome Emily Zimmerman, DSW, onto the podcast as we discuss April being Alcohol Awareness Month. And our closing quote is from Matt Haig. One day this will all be over and we will be grateful for life in ways we never felt possible before. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.